Welcome to Nerd vs. World, episode 85, Atomic Nerd. I'm Brendan. And I'm Spindles. And on today's show, we've got movie reviews for Atomic Blonde and The Big Sick. Spindles has got the lowdown on the Nine Worlds and Arthur C. Clarke Awards. And then there's some reaction to that Game of Thrones episode. (laughs) Well, it's been a while since we've, we've spoken, so let's catch up with Nine Worlds. I want to hear about all about what you got up to. Okay, cool. Yeah, so uh, I haven't been for a couple of years. Uh, obviously, in the time since I last went, they've uh, they've shifted venues, so they've moved away from the, the Radisson in Heathrow, which wasn't the best of venues, and they're now in the Novotel West London in Hammersmith, which was excellent. It's fantastically well set up for conventions. Uh, there's They've got kind of three floors. Uh, the top floor and the bottom floor have a couple of little meeting room type things where the, some of the smaller panels were. And then they've got a big kind of uh, central bar area with two uh, sets of rooms off to the side that can be kind of shuttered as as big or as small as you want them. So that was the kind of main congregating area there. So it was wonderfully set out. Everything was in one place. There was no trolling down to the arse end of nowhere to find the steampunk room. It was all it was all quite sane. Um so yeah, uh, basically, I, uh, I I did a couple of panels myself. Uh, I, I went and saw a whole bunch of panels. There's some really interesting ones. Um, first one, well, who did I say? I saw a talk given by Pat Cadigan, who was awesome. Uh, I also uh, started out with uh, an, an interesting one on the hacker ethic using uh, watchdogs as an example. So the way it worked was describing kind of what the hacker mindset is uh, by by using watchdogs. So rather than, uh, you know, is watchdogs uh, an accurate representation of hacking in, a, in the real world? The answer to which is, of course, no. Uh, it was about how game players hack the game to make it better or make it better for themselves. Because I don't know how much you know about watchdogs, but there's a, a point in the game where other people invade your game. So they take on a kind of NPC role and start scanning you, and you don't know they're there until you get scanned, and then you get an alert, and you've got to find them. And there's kind of an elaborate game of hide-and-seek takes place where you have to find them and scan them, uh, otherwise they win. I didn't know that. Yeah, so what it was talking about was kind of different levels of of people playing the game. So when you're hacking the game, you'll find that there are certain areas of the game where <coughs> it looks like a hedge and it doesn't actually exist. So you can walk right into the hedge and you can crouch in it and therefore you disappear from view. So the person looking for you can't ever find you because you're sat in a hedge. Uh and then it goes up to other levels of uh, if you shoot out, shoot at a particular wall in the game, the game actually thinks it's glass, and so it breaks that, and then you can walk straight into it and end up inside the superstructure of the building, which is a glitch in the game. There are other things by bomb jumps, so blowing yourself up with grenades will fire you in the air because there's no jump button in the game, so you can't jump on top of things, but you can blow yourself up and end up in areas that you're not supposed to be in in the game by blowing yourself up in the air and thus making it impossible for the other player to find you. And then the kind of ultimate nerd level of hacking, (coughs) the hacker mindset, is sticking uh, a Linux box in front of your PlayStation, running uh, uh, basically network capturing software, network monitoring, and then as soon as it detects an incoming ping from outside, you know that someone's invaded your game and can thus then deal with them. So it's yeah, it, it, that was a really interesting talk, uh, and then yeah, a whole bunch of other ones. But again, another really interesting one, and for uh, long-time listeners of the show, this will be a welcome return because it was the Lunatics on Mars, one awesome. of the final one hundred candidates for the uh, the Mars One mission was yeah. there talking about it all. No, well I missed it. 
Yeah, man. Oh, fuck. So, yes, it was uh, someone called Hannah Earnshaw, who is one of the last 100 candidates uh, who is up for the Mars One mission. Uh, Now, I believe how she explained it (coughs) is there are going to be six crews of four who are going to be the final crews. Uh, So there are 100 people in contention for uh, 20... Four. 24 places. So, yeah, she was giving a massive update on on how it's all going to work. And, you know, some of it that we said in the outset is exactly right. They are still kind of funding it on intellectual property of things they're inventing for it and the whole kind of reality TV aspect of it when when it gets to the final selection process. That they're then going to start televising it all, their training, and and then then actually shipping off to Mars. Man, that's a deep callback to like one of our first five episodes. <laughs> it was, I think it was our first episode. Was it number one? Yeah, Jeez. it was actually our first episode. That's what I mean for long term listeners of the show. So Mars One continues apace, and we will continue <laughs> to bring you <laughs> updates on it as and when we hear them. But it was very interesting to hear. She uh, had a lot of... uh, Well, she was explaining kind of her decision-making process and actually wanting to go forward to it on what is what she understands is a one-way mission. Uh, And it was interesting to hear her talk about her mindset and her decision-making process in it, uh, give a little bit more detail about kind of how things are going to happen, sending rovers up and sending... um, capsules up that will sit there and then the rovers will start generating oxygen and water and things on the surface uh, <clears throat> uh oddly well probably not as a surprise she uh, cited the martian as one of her favorite films now <laughs> fair enough <laughs> so uh i'm just hoping that you know it won't go quite as badly for them as it did in that well, as, as long as she's brushed up on how to grow potatoes in the martian environment well, well, indeed, and that's the thing is that they, they, they've got, I think they're, they're planning to send, I think it's 2030, I think they said that they were sending the first actual manned mission off. So they've got like 13 years to learn all the things they need to know to survive on Mars. And that's what they'll do once they've gone through the final selection process. But what specific skill set is, skill set is, she, is she taking to the programme? Um, well, she is. She, she has a background in uh, astronomy, so she, yeah. Uh, okay. it, it, I mean, the, the, the way they've described it is they're not looking for specific skill sets. What they're looking for is a survival mindset, which okay. is all very interesting. And then it'll be, you know, a crew of it's a six crews of four that will be gender balanced and presumably have some kind of. Uh, waiting in terms of what skills they have to bring and it'll be phased over at least every two years they're sending out a new crew interesting so all very 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 interesting uh there obviously there there were questions around kind of you know would they be colonizing it and having children and stuff and that was the the interesting response on that was saying well no that they have science to stop them having children so regardless of what happens they're not planning on procreating on mars for at least 50 years but they they, well they have science to prevent them from having children so well essentially so they'll be using some form of uh, chemical contraception or something like that to stop anyone getting pregnant okay yeah well so yeah unless sending a doctor up there it's probably for the best right well, indeed, and if you think about it, you know, if it does happen, you know, there will be like one kid, and it will be the one kid on Mars, and there'll be no infrastructure for them. There won't be schools. There won't be babysitters. It's just, yeah, the whole thing just sounds still utterly crazy. So, what was her motivation for wanting to go? Um, well, I think she just decided that she. Um, she wanted to explore. She was interested in astronomy when she was a kid. She wanted to be an astronaut. Uh, and then that kind of stuck in her mind. And then, yeah, basically it was just the opportunity to be able to go out and do it and, uh, and, and be one of those first people pushing back new boundaries. Fair enough. Couldn't get me up there for love nor money. Well, God, no. <laughs> well, no, it did. I, I, and, you know, right at the very start, she went, you know, how many of you have... Uh, 
could actually stand up and say that you would go on a one-way mission to Mars. And in all fairness, you know, there was a crowd of maybe about 200 people there, and only about four or five put their hands up. Everybody else was just like, nope. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. So, yes, there was there was that. Uh, uh, yeah, then a whole bunch of other stuff. I did a paddle on LARP, and that was great. And, yeah, nice shout-out to uh, Joe and Toby for coming along, who hey. I've known for over 15 years, and they listened to me talk rubbish about LARP at the best of times and have done for 15 years. So the fact they decided to come along and listen to me doing it again in a panel was really quite nice. Yeah, my um, Facebook flashbacks this week were all about two years ago at Nine Worlds. I kind mm. of missed it. We missed it last year for obvious reasons. I did, I did Star Wars mm. Celebration, so I couldn't afford two cons. And then missed it again this year because no job, no money. Yes. So I was just living vicariously through the posts of everybody on Facebook and through my old post <laughs> from two years ago. It's reminded of my uh, dodgy internet in my room. Kept cutting out, so dancing around Taylor Swift on YouTube. Playing musical <laughs> statues when it cut off. But yeah, that was years ago. Um, so yeah, it was good fun. I mean, uh, again, it's, it, it's a wonderful event that's yeah. so massively diverse in its content as well as the people who are there that I, I doubt any individual person would have the same experience as any other individual at that con because there's just so much choice. Yeah, that's what I found a couple of years ago. Like, I mean, it, it, it's all slightly different now, so it's not organised in tracks anymore. There are just rooms and then there are panels. Okay. So there are lots of different things that they're all just essentially tagged with keywords as to what their, their their content is about. So there are some podcasting talks, but then there are also a whole bunch of other stuff. There isn't a whole track devoted to podcasting. Right. Okay. So that's a bit of a change. What else had changed from a couple of years ago, aside from the obvious location? Um, I, I think the panels were were more organised, so there was it, it was slots, so all the panels ran at the same time. So they all started at like ten, ran for an hour till eleven, then there was forty five minutes until the next panel. So you had enough time in between to go and get food or do whatever you wanted to do cool. before you got to the next one. So they were all organised very very well. So. It worked very well for the attendees. The hotel, I think, probably didn't like it so much because it was dead for an hour, then utter chaos for half an hour, <laughs> then dead for an hour, then utter chaos. So, But yeah, I loved it. Uh, um, other highlights of my weekend was the Twin Peaks discussion group that I went to <laughs> on a Friday night. That was absolutely right wonderful. So yeah shout out to you guys if, you, if you're listening because they said they were going to come and try and catch up on the show especially the episode with me explaining twin peaks to you yeah. you having not seen twin peaks so yeah I've noticed that was great our, i've noticed a spike in our itunes listens for that show today actually so that must be there. there you go there you go then yeah so a bunch of them said they'd go off and have a listen to it so yeah that was a great discussion group and we were all talking about what it means and essentially we've all come out going it's bloody awesome still have no clue what's going on though <laughs> so yeah it, it's a fantastic con and you know I, I would urge anyone to go along to it because i'm sure you will find something to keep you entertained for the entire weekend there's just so much choice awesome yeah go check it out i can I can vouch for it to the extent that I went a couple of years ago and it was awesome. So, yeah. Cool. And then on to the Arthur C. Clarke Awards for you as well. Yes. So this was this was an interesting one that uh, Emma asked if we could go along to it because Emma Newman was there. Yeah. So Emma Newman was uh, nominated for the award this year with uh, After Atlas. So, yeah, we got tickets and we went along. It was in, um, is it called Forbes? I can't remember. the Foils, the Foils, massive yeah. bookshop on, on uh, Charing Cross Road. So it was in the, the top level of that in the function room. Uh, and, yeah, it was all fun. We just went along, had a couple of glasses of wine. They did a presentation. Uh, another guest from our show, Alan Stroud, was there who won an award for a short story that he wrote. Amazing. So yeah, it was we, lovely to catch up with him and just have a chat, and he's up for coming back on the show at any point. We had a very interesting discussion. It was after Nine Worlds a couple of years ago, wasn't it, in fact? It was um, indeed, because we met him at Nine Worlds yeah, two years there. ago. Had a great chat about um, 
cultural spread in the digital age. Mm. I had those, I had that podcast cut up and put onto the portal where I used to work, so students could actually listen to it and reference it in their essays and stuff because it was actually really really pertinent to what we were studying at the time. So. Yeah. So yes, that was really good. We went along, and uh, sadly Emma didn't win, uh, but the award went to Colson Whitehead for the Underground Railroad, uh, which I have since purchased on Audible. Was about to listen to it, but then the next uh, book of the Bobbyverse came out, and I'm now back in the Bobbyverse. Bobbyverse? Have you not come across the Bobbyverse yet? No. Dennis Taylor, a series series of books about a software engineer who dies and gets resurrected as a von Neumann probe. No, haven't come across it. So, yeah, he's he's an AI who then goes out into space as a von Neumann probe and creates copies of himself and and basically populates galaxies. So, it's it's a wonderful series of books. Uh I think that I, I don't know if they're actually available as physical books. I think they're audible only. Oh, okay. <clears throat> But they're absolutely fantastic. It's yeah, it, me being a software engineer, I, I can totally understand where a lot of it is coming from. Fair enough. Okay, cool. Well, so it's, it's what would it. happen if it's what would happen if someone with a brain like mine is turned into an AI and sent off into the galaxy with the ability to self-replicate. Okay, I'll uh, so, I'll keep an ear out for it. It, it's very, very good. Um, but yes, yeah, so I, yeah, sorry, I digress. Uh, yes, yeah, so the Underground Railroad one, uh, I've got that. It's on my list. I will listen to it eventually. <laughs> I will get there. But it just, it just seems like a, the, the Arthur C. Clarke Award just seems to have been popping up all over the place for the last few weeks because obviously at Nine Worlds, uh, Adrian Tchaikovsky was there, uh, who won last year and was there presenting this year. Um, and Pat Cadigan was there, who's won it twice. Uh, so yeah, it was just it, it's interesting. It keeps popping up on, on after the first time I've ever actually gone to the ceremony. Cool. So yes, all very very good. Nice and busy. Very 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 busy, and I've got this weekend to prepare, and then I've got Rami visiting. So Ram from the Wonky Gamer Cast is coming down to visit, and then the weekend after that we're off to uh, weekend at the asylum. Ah, oh, okay. More cons. So, yeah. steampunking in Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I have, uh, on the contrast, had a rather lazy couple of weeks. Plenty of time to watch films. So, Go on then. So what have you seen, sir? Well, start off with the one I saw today. So I saw Atomic Blonde today at the previews this morning. Um, this is the Charlize Theron one, is yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's incredibly slick, incredibly stylish. It's a very sexy film, but it's ultimately, I think, a little hollow. So um, the basic premise is that Charlize Theron is an MI6 agent tasked with recovering a list of agents that has been stolen from uh, a fallen MI6 agent in Berlin, in East Berlin during the end of the Berlin Wall era so it's that that type, that sort of time frame uh, and it's all about her getting the list back and trusting no one and sort of spy shenanigans so it's it's essentially a Cold War spy drama um, and an action film mashed together but they've kind of gone okay. a little bit wrong from my point of view at least in, in the ratio it seems to be 70-30 in favour of action and actually, the narrative and the story of the of the spy drama is rather unsubtle, so it's not kind of what you think okay. from a spy drama. Uh, it looks great, um, and the actors do what they can with the characters they're given, but the characters are all rather two D. Right, there's mm. no depth to any of the characters. The twists are signposted. Um, the end feels. It feels like it could have finished 15 minutes earlier and had a decent sort of cliffhanger type of ending, making you ask mm. your own questions as you left. But instead, they then answer the questions. And there's a big right. reveal, which is kind of 
a bit rubbish. So in terms of the story, like it had potential to be something more than it was, but it failed. Um, but in terms of the action, okay. on the other hand, it's excellent. Some of the action set pieces are incredible. There's a fight scene towards the end um, when Charlize Theron takes on four or five KGB agents, choreography of which is absolutely fantastic. I think Charlize Theron put a lot of effort into doing her own stunt work, and you can kind of tell in that they're not relying on shaky cam to obscure the the, the principal face. You know, mm. so it's a lot freer in that regards. Uh, it's probably going to be a template for action sequences in the future. They hold nothing back in terms of how visceral it is. Um, her makeup throughout the film, so the way it's the the plot device they use is that the film is told via her debriefing. So right, she's yeah. brought in, she's debriefed at the <clears> end, <throat> beginning, and then the entire film is basically her debriefing with cuts back to present day to to ask questions and just exposition a little bit. Um, but yeah, the scars build up over the course of the film, and they don't they don't try and hide it. They don't go like, oh, "It's been a couple of days that that Hollywood scar would have gone." They keep it there. Mm. It's all very visible, um, and, and in that regard, it's really well done. Some of the shot selection, I I thought was particularly interesting. Um, I'm never one for noticing it usually, but there's an awful lot of close-ups. So there's a conversation between John Goodman, who's a CIA handler, and uh, Charlie's Theron on the Berlin Wall at one point, and I noticed watching it that actually the entire entire shot is framed as just their their face. Mm-hmm. And it's back and forth. So it's just John Goodman's face, Charlie's Theron's face, um, which I imagine is a callback to the comic that it's based on. Okay, uh, I've not read it, but it looked framed like a comic panel. Yeah, so that, that would be my guess for sure. Um, but yeah, like it's it, it's. I guess to to me, it sounds like it's it's another uh, Eon Flux. Oh, I haven't seen Eon Flux, so I can't really comment on the direct comparison. All ah, right, okay. Because um, it, it, again, this this was like what maybe ten years ago. And yeah. Charlie's Theron uh, and Johnny Lee Miller and a whole bunch of others, and it's based on an MTV animation from the nineties yeah. about uh, Eon Flux, who keeps getting killed and coming back as a clone of herself. Um, and it was kind of shiny, stylish action sci-fi. But with very little substance or characterization. Yeah, well, in that regard, yeah, it's it's a, it's uh it's the Cold War spy drama version of that. Then I guess, yeah, like, yeah, it it looks incredible, and I think from that point of view, the soundtrack, the the vibe, the the action, they're all high points for it. You can't really fault that at all. But um, the actual story itself is. So unnuanced, it's untrue. It's it's right. so plain. Um, I mean, it's worth a watch. It's not a bad movie, um, but it feels like there's a much better movie in there trying to get out. Right. You know okay. I mean. So you kind of Saturday evening bubblegum movie. Yeah. It's it's as it's maybe a little more engaging than most of your disposable Hollywood uh, <clears throat> action flicks at the moment, but only marginally so. I think okay. people are calling it like the female John Wick. It's not right. quite. A, I think John Wick is quite a protected character in, in his particular films, and they're entertaining on a completely different level to how this would be entertaining. So no, yeah. I I love the John Wick movies. I have them both. I think they're fantastic. <laughs> so do I. But yeah, you know, <laughs> they are very obvious. Obviously, um, simple stories focusing on set pieces. Um, oh yeah, if, can't get enough Keanu in that yeah. role. And and I think if <laughs> if Atomic Blonde skirted a little closer to that, it would have been a better film. But it's trying right. to do two things. It's doing one thing really, really well, but which the, is the thing, action scenes, yeah, which is the action sequences. But the the story itself is very simple, very formulaic, which which in itself isn't a bad thing. But when one thing's done so well, the the fallback on the narrative is a bit of an issue. Okay. So I'm going to say 7 out of 10. Okay. You know, 7 out of 10, because there's enough in there to make it 
watchable enough in there that I didn't feel like I'd wasted my money going to the cinema to see it. Yeah, but, I mean, that, that's pretty good. I mean, I, the, um, from the way you were talking about it, I would have thought it was around a five or a six. So No, well... I'd be happy with a seven. I'd watch that. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely watchable. Um, but yeah. Because cool. Eon, Eon Flux, I would put it like a four or a five. <laughs> okay. Well, I won't watch that then. I think I was actually that's working maybe, at a cinema when that came out, though. Yeah, I think that's maybe because I loved the original animation and, and I just hated the, the version. Yeah. Well, I'm giving I'm giving it a the seven because of Charlie's the run. I think she is a female action hero. She keeps reinventing mm. herself as that. And um yeah. Cool. Okay. Good film. Next good up. film, good film. Okay, so the next one then is The Big Sick, which is an entirely different proposition altogether. Um I, I, I know nothing about this movie. I've really had to work hard to try and track this film down as well, because it only got a limited release. Um so it's basically based on Morris on a true story of Kamal Nanjani and his wife Emily and how they got together. So very simply, the, the plot of the story is that Kamal Nanjani plays himself. He plays a stand-up comedian called Kamal Nanjani in the film. Um, and he meets Emily one night after... Um, a stand-up show he's doing, and the two of them hit it off and they start forming a relationship. Um, but then he's dealing with the pressures of his traditional Pakistani Muslim family and their expectations for marriage for him, and that conflict causes Emily and Kamal to, to break up. And a couple of days after they break up, um, Emily falls sick and is put into medicated coma, and that's when Kamal, who was already sort of... Kamal was scared about losing his family by telling them about Emily. And that's when he comes around that actually Emily's more important and that he has to take some risks. And he kind of works all this through with Emily's parents who come down to be by her bedside while she's in this coma. Of course, they already know that they've broken up, so it's kind of frosty to start off with. But Emily's parents, who are Ray Romano and Holly Hunter are going through their own sort of trust issues at that time, so they can kind of relate on different levels. So it's it's a really nice dynamic to the three of them figuring out actually what's important. Um, and the performances are incredible. Like I've never seen Ray Romano play it straight, but he plays it really, really well. And Holly Hunter is... Well, she's always been one of my favourites, and she's just fierce in this again. Um so yeah, so it goes through that, and then obviously Emily wakes up from her coma, and it's then her finding out about Kamal's change and the reluctantly getting together again. Uh, yeah, it's just a really, really lovely, bittersweet comedy okay. with some tremendous performances. And you know what I'm like? I'm an absolute sucker for anything that makes me happy cry Absolutely. or sad cry. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah definitely. So you're never really sure whether it's going to be going towards the sort of 500 days of summer, learn something by loss sort of ending, mm -hmm. um, or the happy ever after ending. And it kind of plays it really well. But I loved it. It's it's a comedy, a very bittersweet comedy. I think. But yeah, uh, it was well worth tracking down. Cool. Like, and the rating? Uh, the rating, it's, it's possibly my film of the year. Ooh, bloody hell. Like, it, it made me laugh. It got me really invested. Um, one second. The the last who plays Emily, um, is Zoe Kazan, was in another film I loved called In Your Eyes, which is on Netflix at the moment, so you should check that out. Uh, yeah, no, I, I just I fell in love with the film. And I love it. I love it when a film does that for me. Um, so it, it's really especially hard to... when it comes out of nowhere. It's wonderful. Yeah. Well, I, I I was hearing reports from America about it, and um, yeah, obviously the View weren't showing it locally. The Odeon weren't showing it locally. Um, Empire Cinema, who was my go-to at the moment, they weren't showing it when it came out, um, and I couldn't see screenings anywhere. I, was like, I, I want to see this film so much. It sounds right up my street. Especially the coping with, with sickness in the family, given everything in the last couple of years. So, yeah, eventually it got a r delayed release at the Empire. So I went to that and, yeah, 
just absolutely fell in love. Such a wonderful film. Um, awesome. And, it, and I think it plays to the actors' strengths, you know. The the comedy, the stand-up is all done by stand-up comedians who are close to Kamal. It's, yeah, it's just, it's just brilliant. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely, it's definitely going to be in the running come December for my film of the year. It's one of the best I've seen it so far. Well, there's still loads to come. We're only halfway through the year. I know, I know. And there's, there's a, to be fair, there's a few knocking on the door already. Like, there's a couple of contenders, um, Colossal is still up there for me, but mm-hmm. I think this Pip's Colossal. So still know. got Valerian and a few others to go. See, I didn't go into seeing that yet. I will see it because it's Luke Besson. Um, mm. But yeah, so no. So in terms of rating, I'm gonna give the Big Sick the the full ten out of ten. Sweet. Just because, just because it it did everything that I want for a movie for me. Awesome. So, yeah, and Zoe Kazan is my crush of the week. Just, just... <laughs> Brendan's crush of the week. Yeah. If you haven't seen it in your eyes, you should definitely get on Netflix and watch that as well, because that's a great film. It's a Joss Whedon penned script about yeah. about two two they become lovers from across the USA. Is that your scope or my scope? Uh, I have no idea. Somebody came online somewhere. Uh. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what happens is these characters um, suddenly start seeing what the other person is seeing, and they think they're like right. having kind of like a stroke or something's going wrong. But so she starts seeing what he's seeing in his life in the arsenal of nowhere, living in a trailer, and he starts seeing what she's seeing, um, and then eventually they they work out what's going on, and yeah, it's a, the love story unfolds without them ever actually meeting. They just meet through looking into a mirror, so they can see. Who they're looking through, do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, but it's yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a weird film, but Joss Whedon wrote it, I think, and Jed Whedon did some work on the the soundtrack. But yeah, cool. Yeah, so that's that's my film. Awesome. I also saw The Founder as well. It was not the cinema, but I watched that recently, and that's the story of McDonald's, um, <laughs> with Michael Keaton playing Ray Kroc, and it's all about how the franchise was started and how. He stole the idea and the name from the actual founders and everything. Yeah, yeah. And for a film about McDonald's, it's actually really fucking good. Um, okay. Uh, I was very surprised I, by it. I tend to find that films like that are because they they're more about the kind of how it got to where it is rather than the end product. Because we all yeah. know what the end product is, but it's the kind of behind-the-scenes story. That's why I love those kind of biopics of things like Steve Jobs and um, yeah. all the kind of Microsoft ones. I, I love the insight into how it came to be because we, we, we know the brand and we know the product, but we don't necessarily know how it came to be. And I find those kind of stories intriguing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was great. I, cool. I, I live with my, my housemate used to work for McDonald's, and he kept laughing during the film because there are there are lines from the film which are apparently taken from the McDonald's employee handbook. So yeah, yeah. I imagine there's got to be a lot of Easter eggs in there for yeah. anyone who's been employed there. <laughs> but yeah, it's a great film. It's well worth checking out. I think we saw it on Amazon. You can hire it on Amazon. Okay, uh, I will, I will yeah. have a look. Sounds like the kind of thing I'll enjoy. Yeah, it's a great film. And Keaton's just superb. But mm. yeah. Right then. It's deep breath time. Ding clinch, Peter, ding clinch, ding clinch. <laughs> Game of Thrones. What an episode. Holy shit! <laughs> I think that's probably one of the best of the entire run. Yeah, honestly, I, I have never had this reaction to an episode before. And it came fairly early on uh, when Arya came back yeah. to Winterfell. And then just seeing her and Brienne of Tarth, I was just like, oh my god, this is the best thing ever! It, uh, yeah, and I love the, um, the Who Trained You? No one. Yeah. That little yeah, payoff. yeah, totally. It was great, um, and Littlefinger's face as well because he's looking down with a smile, 
and then he sees that she's got cat's paw, and he's just like, oh fuck, I gave that to Brian. Yeah. I've got no power yeah. over this guy. Um, but what was interesting, again, my housemate pointed this out to me, is the entire time they're watching the fight, um, Littlefinger and Sansa on the balcony, he doesn't say anything. Like, in every no. scene like that we've seen before, he's in her ear. And in this scene, he's he's saying nothing. Like, Sansa's properly shut him up. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think Littlefinger is trying to drive a wedge between all of the Stark children, especially yeah. between uh, John and Sansa, because I think he, he was expecting there just to be Sansa and she would be in the north and then he would be able to manipulate and, uh, and deal with that. What he wasn't anticipating was Jon Snow being brought in as a bastard heir, uh, Arya to come back as the biggest badass of the universe, <laughs> and, and Bran to come back as this weird spiritual creature who quite literally doesn't care about anyone anymore. Yeah, no, and uh, chaos is a ladder. Yeah, which no. is something that he said very, very early on, which means, you know, how much does Brad know? Well, it, Littlefinger said it to Varys in the Red yeah. Keep. It was just Indeed. the two of them. Nobody else was yeah. there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so this very... is the thing is how much how much does Bran know? Does Bran know that Littlefinger betrayed Ned? Does uh, what, what what does he know? And is he going to tell people? Does Bran know about Littlefinger's involvement in John Aaron dying? Absolutely, yeah, and yeah, uh, and yeah, Lisa, Aaron, and all the rest of it. It's it's crazy, and it's just it, it all got blew utterly out of proportion this week yeah. with it. Because I think that the whole thing with the dagger, uh, I mean, wh- why do you think that Littlefinger gave the dagger to Bran? Um, I don't know. What are your because, thoughts? Because, well, previously he'd said he knew who's, he, that, that it was his dagger and that he'd last seen it with Tyrion, that Tyrion had it. And then when Bran asked whose it was, he said he didn't know. So I think what he's trying to do is set John up as potentially being the one who tried to arrange Bran's death. Uh-huh. And trying that John is has tried all along to become king in the north. Oh, see, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think of that. I, I don't think that's the way he's going with his manipulations. I think I because think he's more... it, it would be all too easy for him just to repeat it all about the fact that it was the Lannisters, but for some reason he's not. Uh, so I think, yeah, no, I, I think when it comes to the scheming, he's going to be doing something else. Yeah, I just, in, I just, in, in, I just, yeah, carry on. In, in the last episode. Um, there's a scene where the new maester tells Sansa that Maester Lewin kept records of all the scrolls, like every Raven scroll. Um, and as they're walking, if I had to go back and watch the shot again, but as you're watching the shot, you know, Sansa doesn't react to that news. The person who reacts to that news is Littlefinger. He looks back at the maester, and he's actually sent a screen at the time. And like, I don't think they do anything in their framing for shits and giggles so we're, we're no, meant no. to we're meant to know we're meant to notice that Littlefinger has picked up on that so I think there's something like it could be to do with when uh, so when Sansa what was called a Sophie then that's the actress when Sansa yeah. wrote to Rob mm. telling Rob to bend the knee to Cersei like she had there's a lot of stuff Sansa was forced to do in order to survive in King's yes. Landing, and I think, yeah. I think that's where Littlefinger's going to go. I think he's going to try and find some of those to try and drive a wedge between Sansa and Arya, Arya Sansa and John, because Arya and John are tight. So yeah. if Littlefinger can drive a wedge between Sansa and Arya, he drives a wedge between Sansa and John by by default. Yeah, I just yeah, you know, I think it's it's a weird one because I think Sansa has. Yeah, she's reunited with Bran and Arya, but they're completely unrecognisable from the last time she saw them both. Yeah. 
But to be fair, so's so Sansa at this point as well. Today. She is, but then again, you know, she Sansa's story is it, it uh, understandable. You know, she's had a lot of shit happen to her, and she's and she's become hardened to it. Whereas yep. the other two have come back with supernatural powers. That's true. Yeah, yeah. One of them's a <laughs> and Borg. John as well. Yeah. Well. So literally out of all of them, she's just had a load of shit and come back just being a bit disgruntled at the world. Every other fucker's got superpowers. Yeah, actually. (laughs) I'd be pissed. (laughs) Yeah, totally. It's like, what the fuck did I get for all of that? Jesus, yeah, you're right. Sansa got screwed. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. I'd never even, I'd never even looked at it that way, or even considered that. But yeah, like John's come back from the dead, is destined to lead. Bran's a warg. I is a badass that can change a face and do all sorts of awesome yeah. stuff. And, and, if... and what can Sansa do? She can glare at people. <laughs> yeah, I think she's she's the one who's probably moved furthest away from what she wanted when she was younger, whereas everyone yeah. else has moved slightly closer. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> oh man, poor Sansa. Yeah, poor Sansa. <laughs> I think she'll do all right though. She'll probably survive. I imagine she'll hmm. she'll be one of the few people who actually survives the game. And I think that's the thing is that it. I think her superpower is survival. She's gone through all of that, and and she has learned how to survive under any circumstance. Yeah, uh, and I think she's she's wise to the game now as well. Like she's definitely yeah, learned yeah. Littlefinger's game. Like Definitely. when uh when the three of them met under the weirwood tree, and Bran showed them the dagger, mm. she was just like, "Littlefinger is not a generous man. He doesn't give gifts." No, to see there's a reason. Yeah. yeah. So at that point, you're just like, "Okay, yeah, Sansa is wise to this now. She's she's learnt from the people she's been around on how to play the game. She's learnt a little bit. She's got a bit of Cersei about her in that yeah. sort of coldness." To people not being so willing to, uh, you, do you know what I think? Cersei, I think she's learned most of her important lessons from Cersei, and yeah. I think that that she's coupled those kind of smarts with everything else that's happened to her. I think she's she is she is more dangerous than the rest of them because while they all have superpowers, she has actual influence. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there was all that. There's some nice bit of politicking around. Then, uh... and then everything went to shit. Oh my god! And then some. <laughs> I watched the HBO uh, behind the episode featurette for this. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, the stuntmen and the stuff they did for that final that final battle. Holy shit! They broke records for number of people set fire in one scene. Yeah, it. Uh, honestly, utter, utter insanity. I, 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 I wasn't expecting it at all. It came out of nowhere, yeah. and it was like you know, okay, they're chatting away at the camp, and oh, they've managed to pay off the Iron Bank of Bravos, and and yeah, there's Mark Gatis looking a bit smug about it all, and that's all very nice, and and then it just like, it's just the moment when he went, wait, listen, and then that okay. was it. From there, it just the whole tone of the episode just changed and it went batshit crazy yeah like all the little things there was Bronn turning to Jamie and saying you can ride back to King's Landing you know because these 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 poor entry fuckers are about to get slaughtered and yeah. Jamie not leaving him standing his ground and then the 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 charge of the Dothraki and then that fucking yeah. dragon <laughs> and then Drogon just coming over there it's just like yeah what the actual fuck is going on? It was spectacular. I think they said they were saying like in the in the entirety of season six they had maybe eleven shots of Amelia Clark and the dragon together, and they were saying they had eighty four shots in this one episode. Yeah. Like it was incredible. Um, they said they set twenty people on fire in one shot. Which is the most that's ever been done because of the health and safety reasons and stuff. Yeah, yeah, because um, yeah, you've got to be able to put them all out. <laughs> yeah, they built special harnesses so that the the archers could stand up in the saddles on top of the horses while they're firing. Which I believe, right? Yeah, yeah, well, 
because they slow mowed that and then they all jumped off and that was yeah, yeah. Fucking... oh the, the choreography on that was absolutely brilliant the, the whole yeah. thing it was just an incredible spectacle but there's one but thing I, like... I have to just give a, a, a shout out for the running dick on Rickard joke <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just that's never gonna get old like yeah, this this was this was the first time Bron could be Bron in this series, I think, because last time we saw him, he didn't say anything, no. sort of teased him, and then this time he's back with with his one liners. Um, yeah, where was I going? Oh yeah, there was one scene. So the battle's just started. Everything's going off. It's going crazy, and then two white horses and a black horse, sort of are behind lines, just without riders, run across the screen. Like yeah. there's there's a there's a steady pan on them. Like they're center screen. You're meant to see them. And I was like, what does it mean? It's got to mean something. That that must be an Easter egg of something. I just can't figure out what or why, or whether I'm reading too much into it. But it doesn't seem like they frame things for no purpose. So well, I yeah. think that was just uh, it, the way I read that was just the juxtaposition of that against the chaos of everything and that's just them literally just fleeing the scene see I started thinking the three dragons maybe like two white ones one black one is one going to go bad is one going to die is it well, the this is, three I, heads I, of the Targaryens I, like I, I, I read so me, much into that I, I think for me I, I think one of the dragons has to die and come back as a white walker dragon and that, that's where all the shit's going to go wrong is that what's going to make Danny finally throw her weight behind John? I think I think so. Yeah. It could be right because uh, yeah. I think we've seen this episode that they are vulnerable and can be hurt, uh, and I think it's going to be it's going to take one of the smaller ones to get killed, and then be resurrected as a White Walker, and that's where it's just all going to go to cock. That'd be fucking badass, though. Oh, it would be utterly, utterly badass, but yeah. it's just going to be so tough. Uh, yeah. But, but, okay, but, so... Yeah. Other moments. Uh, other moments. Bron dropping his, his bag. Yeah. Like, I thought I thought he was dead. At that point, when he dropped his, the, the, the coin purse and his gold, I was like, that's, that's blood money, that's blood money being spilled, that's... Obviously, foreshadowing him about to die in this this combat, and I didn't want that to happen. Like, no. I I I wasn't cheering Daenerys and the Dothraki in this fight. I was cheering and and sort of, you know, cheering on Jaime and Lannisters and and Bronn. A lot of people, a lot of people were. I watched the throne cast afterwards, and everybody was che- cheering on Jaime. Yeah, like, yeah. So it, it it was weird in that regard because we've we finally seen like main characters going at each other like this. This is yeah, I mean this is the first time a lot of the key players have met each other or seen each other in a very long time because it, yeah. it's all about people getting back together again. So John and Theon had a moment on the beach. Yeah. Then you have uh, Daenerys facing off against Jaime and Bronn. Uh, Tyrion, Tyrion watching Jamie. Yeah, you so can tell there's he's conflicted. The, oh God, yeah, and I, and I think even Jamie's conflicted. Yeah, because he now knows the truth. He now knows that Tyrion didn't poison his son. Yeah, he now knows that actually his dad just wanted an excuse to try and kill Tyrion. So, yep. you know, he knows a little bit more. Oh. It's, so it's whether or not this is going to be enough to turn him finally against Cersei. Because we, we know that he can see reason because he killed the Mad King. So yeah. he has, you know, it's got to push him to that level to have him to turn against her. Well, so, he, he will at some point because he's going to kill her. Is he? Yeah, I think, I think the Ed Sheeran song foreshadowed it because he talks about Hand of Gold. And the slaying of the, the slaying of the queen, mm-hmm. and he is okay. the little brother. Cersei is older by like a minute or two. Oh, She's yeah, the elder yeah. twin, so yeah. you know he is the little brother. So Cause... you don't think that Jamie's dead then? No, because he's in the trailer for the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> that was a mistake, Game of Thrones editors. Well, yeah. you see, I uh, 
My my biggest problem with that, uh, that there's a big question, and I have a big problem with it. So the big question first is, who took him off the horse? Was it Bron? Bron. Was it Dickard? Or was it, it Rickon? Or whatever he's called. Uh, you reckon it was Bron? It was Bron. You think so? Yeah. Or do you have proof? No, I'm just hoping it's Bron. Okay. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. I, I think Bron was being badass enough in that episode to begin yeah. with. So if he did that as well, he's fucking superhuman. Um, but my biggest problem is you see Jamie storming towards uh, Drogon with the lance, and you know he's he's the horse is splashing all the way through the water. Simple physics says if you get knocked off, then you're in the shallow bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why was he? Why was he uh, dragging up into the, <laughs> the fade-out? Yeah, yeah. You know, it was probably knee height at best. <laughs> that's uh, that's artistic license, I think. We'll let them on. Yeah, that's a crock of shit. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. But the trailer for the next episode, um, when they're approaching the dra- no, they've got the dragon on the mound, mm. she's doing her talk. Yeah, to the left of screen is Jamie's white horse with Jamie on it. It's like, oh, but he survives right. then. <laughs> Okay, yeah. there you go then. So, um, yeah. Oh, the one episode. Like, that was definitely full of holy shit moments. Like, oh, when um, when Bron fires the, the scorpion at the Dothraki, yeah. and it just, like, pins him back against the cover. <laughs> that was, that was awesome. Like, it was, oh, it was so good. So, so good. Yeah, uh, they, yeah, just yeah, utterly, utterly mind blowing end of an episode, uh, and apparently the the shortest one ever. Uh, shortest one of this season, I think. Was it? I I, I thought it would. It, it I read something on Digital Spy about it being the shortest episode ever. Oh, maybe I don't know. Definitely wasn't feature length. Like well, we used it, to, but... In all fairness, it totally made up for it if it was the shortest episode ever. I'm, I'm happy with it because it was fucking awesome. Yeah. Uh, if you listen to this, I would highly recommend going to watch the behind-the-scenes stuff on that episode, though, just to get an appreciation for all the hard work that went into it. Um, they were running like seven or eight camera crews, all the blocking they had to do for that sequence, all the stuntmen and what they had to do for that sequence. Like The work that went into that was just... Amazing. And it was a first time director as well. Yeah, similarly I'd say to go back and and watch the uh the one from a couple of seasons ago, which was the Night's Watch versus the uh the Wild oh, Hard Hardhome, Hard 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 yeah. Which was Neil Marshall who did uh, Dog Soldiers. Uh, go yeah. back and watch that. watch that. Just some of the shots that were done in that, like the steady cam shots, are just insane. Yeah. Because they, it's all done in one one take, and it's right the way across a set with yeah. one take of, of action happening everywhere, and it's just utterly insane. Yeah, they keep they keep pushing the boundaries. They keep pushing what they can achieve, like, and and why the hell not? You know, they they've got one and a bit seasons left, and that's it. So yeah, we're, we're know, into it, we're into single figures left, like yeah, single yeah. figure episodes left. So. Yeah. And you know, uh, fair play to them. They they are duly ramping up the spectacle. They are, and we're getting we're getting the payoffs now as well. A little bit, we're getting. I think that's probably where the episode was a little bit iffy. In like the fan service elements of the episode were almost a parody of it. It's like I don't know. Maybe, it was great. It was great I, to I, see. I, I, yeah, I think it was all justified. Um, yeah, no, no I, don't, I, I have no issues with everything they did. You know, I, I still want to see more. There's a whole fuck ton of stuff that I've been waiting for. You know, there are a lot of interesting questions left. You know, Arya's kill list. I love how she's just so blasé about it all the time. And then it took Sansa, Sansa's reaction shot. Of her realizing that the kill list is a real thing, yeah. Um, well, it was the two reactions: it was the one in the crypt where she she says it, 
I think she sees Sansa's reaction, and then I think she realizes this isn't a normal thing to have, so she starts laughing, and they laugh off mm-hmm. as a joke. And then later on, um, Bran mentions the list again, mm-hmm. and Sansa's like, "Oh, it's a real thing." And then uh, when I, she sees her fighting, it's like, yeah. and she can actually do it as well. So I think, yeah, I think Littlefinger is going to end up on that list. Oh God, yeah, because that's that, that's the thing is is out of everyone, he should be on that list. Yeah, it's just um, it's insane that in amongst all of what's happened in this show, that Littlefinger still has his head attached to his body. <laughs> Absolutely, he's not going to have this day. Like in the season trailers. Uh, like before, even before episode one, there was that. Um, there was the dialogue over the trailer. I think it was Sansa saying it, saying about the uh, the lone wolf mm. dies and like the cub, the pack is back together and the lone wolf will die. Bran, Arya, and Sansa, they're the pack, and they're yeah, back together. Yeah. And Littlefinger is the lone wolf in this situation, and I think he's gonna fucking get his comeuppance. Um, it's about fucking time. What was interesting is, is, is because I've been going back and re-watching it all, it's interesting to hear, uh, I can't remember who it is that tells the tale of uh, the person who uh, breaks the tradition and then has his sons fed to him, and then that's exactly what happens to Walter Frey later. Because uh, Arya isn't part of that conversation, but she does exactly to all yeah. the fray what is mentioned in that folk tale. Yeah. Websites, yeah. But they, they do that a lot, though, these little tales. that They, all, they always foreshadow feature things, like the tales and the songs yeah. in this series all mean something. They're all going to mm. give clues as to what's happening. Um, now, there are some interesting people on Arya's list. Whether they should still be on it or not, I don't know. Like Beric Dondarrion and uh, Thoros of Mir. Why were they on her list? I can't remember. Because they gave Gendry to Melisandre. Oh, uh, yeah. So, basically, Melisandre gave them gold and they gave her Gendry. Who they then? Who she then sucked the blood out of, and then the Onion Knight set free. Yeah. So we still see whether Gendry's going to come back or not. Yeah, I think he because will. Because he's he is a loose end that is off somewhere. You know, well, I know if I, I get reappearances he's... from people like Hot Pie, then uh, you know I think we're going to see Gendry again. We we will see him again because I know that he was. On the casting calls for this for this series, so he will be he will be back at some point. Um, we'll finally see what he's been up to. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And of course, she took the hound off the list. Has she? Yeah. I think there's a scene during her training. Um, there's a scene during her training where she's doing the whole lie test thing. Mm-hmm. And she's ah yeah uh, yeah and 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 Jack and Hagar says uh, that she's lying when she says the hound yeah 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 well Did that's true think? I mean because I, so in in my rewatch I'm at the point where it's Arya and the hound wandering around and that's I it, it's stunning I, I I just love the hound I'm so glad he didn't die yeah he's he's one of my favorite characters he's such a bastard. But then he he comes back and he redeems himself and all sorts of stuff catches up with him like the other episode where, because he's back with Beric Dundarian and Thoros Amir again and he goes back to the house of the people that he stole their money and all their stuff from yeah. and discovers that the father had murdered the daughter and then killed himself and and that was all because of him. Yeah, well he's 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 doing some growing up, isn't he? Like he's he's well, on a massive redemption arc. Yeah, huge redemption arc, and that's I think that's gonna that redemption arc is going to culminate in him taking on the the mountain. How could he possibly win against Zombie Mountain? I don't know. I don't know, but maybe it's not about winning at this point for him. 
Maybe. Maybe it's just about him having a good death. Yeah. Or, or standing for something. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. We'll see. Craziness. Yeah. Uh, what else from that episode? Oh, the uh, conversation with John and Davos on the wall uh, and the callback to Stannis Baratheon and his grammar Nazism. Ah, yes. Less, fewer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. Um, yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it was stunning. Um, if you haven't watched it, then you know. Sorry, sorry. This has been, this has been full of spoilers. <laughs> we should probably have said that at the start. Um, but if you haven't watched, it I think we now, did. We said we're talking about that episode of Game of Thrones. Okay. You know, I, I, I think, and we'll put a blatant thing in the show notes to say we are talking about this week's Game of Thrones anyone who hasn't seen it by the time this comes out <clears throat> come on seriously what are you doing yeah 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 it's, it's your own fault um, cool I think that ties us up nicely I think it does yeah okay then folks that's all for this episode uh, thank you very much for listening I've been Brendan I've been Spindles. And until next time, take care and be excellent to each other. Ta-da! Bye!